Appleside to to concentrate our eyes to you guys. You know, I've got this really awesome wife. So her name means her name means honest child. And one thing that I always always appreciated about her, she would never never just uh, um, make things up or say things just to make me feel better or anybody else. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure I'll always get the truth from her, no matter what. And that helps me. A guy like me, that helps me. I appreciate the wife that God gives me. I would not be close to the man that I am today if it wasn't for that wife that God has given me. I sang her praises to Mkwesen Tani Traidau. It's different, eh? So I, I do that. And that's, that's how much of our worship looks like. And that's actually quite cool, right? But it's different if I do this. Baby, I just want to tell you. And that I'll leave at a different time. <laughs> but you know, we sing about God, and there is something where we can we can we can pick up all these attributes. And I see sometimes in worship, it's a certain level where we we pick on the attributes of God. He is this, he is that, and we we stand still. It's almost like buddies chatting about the guy. That's like, yeah, no, this guy's really cool. But sometimes we. There is a place that God wants to bring us actually in deeper intimacy where we don't just speak about him to the people around us, but we actually start facing him and just say, God, I just want to say and speak to him. And I, I, uh, I just, I think God has his finger on worship a little bit with us lately. And I think there's some of the ways that I'm not saying that telling him, of course, how great my wife is, or telling God how great is, is, is bad. I think we should have that. We should have that type of thing. But we should be able to go to that more uncomfortable place of sometimes go like, you're beautiful. <laughs> you guys understand what I'm Funny Maish. They laugh at my Russian. You know what I just said now? I, I said, understand. Right? <laughs> so, um, we are... Um, uh, l- last week, we considered uh, what we called religion. And we, what we, we said, we, we explained it as, well, we different type of explanation, but it is... Trying to, 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 to cancel distance between us and God through some of the stuff that we do. Try and find some sort of standing before God on stuff that we've done. I'm, I'm shorthand now very much just to get to part two. So I want us to quickly read, how oh, can we do this? Galatians. Galatians 5 verse 1 um, to verse 6. If you guys have Bibles, if you feel more comfortable with your Bible, then be free to go there. So it says, for freedom... Christ has set us free. That's quite important, right? Why did Jesus set us free? It sounds good. For freedom, he has set us free. It seems like, an, uh, like not an oxymoron, but it seems like that's too obvious. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And let me, let me say again, you know, I, um, when I was in the world, and I was properly in the world, I, at some stage, as many people that's properly in the world and not properly with God, had uh, at some stage just lift every type of boundary that could possibly be on me and say, like, I will do whatever I want to, right? I will not hold back on any drug that I want can get my hands on. I will not hold back on any 
pleasure that I could hold my hand onto. And so I would just try and shake the boundaries of consciousness off me all the time, pushing to that type of, I'm free, right? And uh, um, then I met Jesus, and uh, um, suddenly I stopped doing all of those things. And uh, one day as I was uh, chatting with, with one of my friends, I said to him, you, 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 won't, you won't believe it, <laughs> but I am so free. And you must understand for him, it was saying, look, two weeks ago, you did every drug that was on the market. You went to every party that was on the market. You swear you did what you want to, and now you tell me that you are free. Right? That is the contradiction. But I wasn't free. I wasn't free. I was bound by my, say it like this, my desires. I was bound by my pleasures. I was bound by the opinions of man. I wasn't free. And understand this, the creator, the creator that made me, you know, he made me to be holy. <laughs> he made me to carry him. He made me to represent me. When he put me together, he made me to be like that. And I would not be ever who I've been created to unless I represent that. There's a lot of activity. But uh, um, so I think I've told you guys the story. But I, I uh, soon after that, I had a, um, and maybe I, I won't tell that story about, about freedom. All right. But the point is, we, Christ has set us free. For freedom's sake, he has set us free. And then he says, stand firm, therefore. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The point is, religion and legalism and that yoke of slavery will find every place to get on you and make your walk heavy. Right? It is a fight. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, right, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, I'm not going to be that personal today and ask, all right, guys, who have you been circumcised? All right? It's, it's, it's private. We will leave it there. I'll just say to you, if you're circumcised, don't think you're more holy than me. That's not been circumcised. But, of course, that's not what Paul simply means. It's simply the cut off certain amount of flesh. In that instance, it meant something. For a Jew, it meant something of, uh, 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 almost a spiritual mark. He's marked by God. He, he got circumcised. It gave him some sense of spirituality. We would do a whole lot of other things that gives us a whole lot of a, a sense of spirituality. It's just his mark. We've got different marks, all right, that gives us a sense of spirituality. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. Verse 4. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For though the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. It's one of the most powerful verses here because I have many times seen people's battle for religion is to rip out everything that has an appearance of tradition, 
legalism or conservatism? Can I ask you, I think many years ago I've asked this question, I'll ask this question again. What is the most religious? An organ or a keyboard? What's the most religious? An organ or a keyboard? Both. <laughs> What's the most religious? Wearing a tie or not a tie? Any religious people here? <laughs> What's the most religious? See, Paul says, you've tried to find a freedom outwardly. And so I've found it many times, you know, in, in, um, with, with, with the way people think. Somehow people have made religion to be conservative, <laughs> And freedom to be liberal or modern, right? I, uh, um, I many times, it's a story that I also might have told, but I, I was at a, at a school in, um, in Paul. It's a farming school. It's the epitome. It's in the heart of Afrikanerdom, Boland Landbe, right? It represents the Afrikaner mind. It represents tradition and religion, everything that is in there. My God and my tall, right? And so I, I come and I teach them on the freedom that is in Jesus. And it's amazing. People's eyes just open up. And then one day a guy asked me, he says to me, listen, um, uh, our teacher, every, every, every afternoon, we have to have quiet time. We have to read our Bibles between two and quarter past two every week, every day. We have to do that. It's in the middle of the summer, and as I was reading my Bible, I took off my shirt. Just because it's hot. The teacher came in, and he says to me, how dare you read your Bible without a shirt on? And he, he got a hiding for reading the Bible without his shirt on. So he asked me, what should he do? So my first reaction is, don't let them take your freedom, brother. You keep that shirt off. <laughs> you free in Jesus. We don't have to read a Bible on with a shirt on. I mean, that's not the point. He's missing the point. You keep that shirt on. Oh, shirt off, sorry. <laughs> and I felt the Lord spoke to me actually in that time. And he said to me, the problem is you find freedom in a shirt. And we find freedom in an expression. And we sometimes think we're free because we rip the tie off. <laughs> but freedom is not in the tie or the lack of it. <laughs> freedom is not in the organ or the lack of it. Freedom is not in the keyboard. All right? And one of the most challenging things I want to ask you, if you've ever struggled with legalism, which all of you at some stage have, if you've served God for longer than five days, this stand firm in the freedom by which you've been set free is given to you because there's an attack on your freedom in the Lord, definitely. And so when legalism and religion creep in our hearts, <laughs> we try to fight it outwardly. I remember I had a time that I thought like I'm expressing myself in worship and the thought come out of me. 
I'm just performing here. This is not genuine. I'm just doing this for the sake of people. I'm just doing this whole thing. It's just fake. It's just that I'm religious. So how do I try and solve it? Next time in worship, I'm just going to. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't got free. Who has looked worse? At some stage, I, 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 I spend diligently, religiously, time with God every day. Read my Bible, pray every day. And then someday I go like, I'm just doing this religiously. I'm just doing this to kind of win approval over to God. This is religious. You know what I did? I stopped reading my Bible. How did that make me free? It's not in circumcision, nor in uncircumcision, that our freedom lays. And I want to say, if religion has come upon you, which again, it knocks at all of your doors. If you say, no, never, you're religious. <laughs> right? So, how do we conquer religion? If we understand circumcision doesn't avail anything, uncircumcision also doesn't avail anything. How do we get free from religion? And that, I want to say that religion is probably the hardest thing that I've ever seen people get free from, simply because they try and find it outwardly. They try to win circumcision with uncircumcision. And I've had so many people after a while, and we speak about legalism, and we speak about religion, come to me, and afterwards says, I'm religious, I know that. How do I get free? <laughs> what must I do? Do you have any other Bible program for me to follow? Do you have any other songs that I can listen to? Do you have any other ways that you can teach me so that I can be free? And you'll be stumped every time. Now, in the book of Job, well, Job is one of my, uh, well, Job is a very interesting book. It's the first book written in the Bible. And you guys all know it because it's familiar for the fact that God had to show the devil that Job is sincere in his following him, that he's after God first. And God take everything away from Job. You guys know the story. God takes everything away from Job. And still in that, Job chooses to serve God. And then that's kind of where we stop. You know, Job is 42 chapters. All of that happened in chapter 1 and 2. Then for 40 chapters, there's something happening. And only in the last two chapters, you realize what God actually wanted to do with Job. See, Job heard a lot about God. If you would ask Job, Job, do you believe God is your provider? Job would say, yes, I believe God is my provider. Job, let me take away your job and your wife and everything else. Whoa, 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 whoa. In theory, Job was a believer. In theory, Job is, he's heard a lot about God. But the reality of God was far from Job. God wanted to move Job from the right answer to the real answer. God wanted to move Job from that which is theoretical to that which is real. And in that process of what the enemy did, God made Job to be more than just, I've heard about you, but the reality settles in. And so, the story works like this. Job's friends comes into the scene. 
It's good, I mean, seemingly good guys that also fear God just as Job. But if a guy goes through a difficult situation, we have the need to figure out why he's going through a difficult situation. All of us does that. And a guy can't go through a difficult situation unless he's done something wrong. And I am there to point it out to them. I find it many times in my heart. I need to guard myself for it the whole time. But I try to pick a fault in somebody to explain why certain things is in their lives. And Job's friends did that. That, by the way, is the same as the Pharisees did. And that's a religious spirit. So Job's friends appearing to be good, is so religious, they can't help them. And the next moment, they just fire on a lot of accusations. Job, you're in this place, you're in this place, and you're in this place. You know what Job's response is? It's again so religious. Job defends himself. No, I'm not. I'm a good man. No, you're not. I'm a good man. No, you're not. I'm a good man. And so this journey goes between the two of the one accusing and the other one defending himself. It is the absolute display of the religious spirit. Two, two groups. And then God brings the answer. And God brings a young man called Eliu in. Now, if you ever want to see the religious spirit freak out, get a young person to speak to an old person. <laughs> Nothing freaks religion more out if God uses a young person to address old people. That's why it's clear. Christian Trader doesn't have a religious spirit on it. All right? If you want to see rebellion... See how young people respond when you get an older person to speak to them. That's rebellion. But religion shows itself when a young person speaks to an older person. And all the young guys are smiling at me. Like, tell them, tell them. All right. That's just true. It's just God just kind of get his note, kind of get the, the, the thing in there to address that old thing. And so the young, the, young, the young Eliu comes and he goes and he says to the friends and Job, he says, you guys are out of your minds. You guys are missing the whole point. It's not about whether Job is right or wrong. It's not about his goodness. It's not about his badness. It's all about God. God determines. God dictates. God is everything. And then God comes into the picture. Finally, it's God's turn to speak. And God rebukes Job. He, 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 he rebukes the friends. But he doesn't rebuke Eliu, the young guy, as a sign that he approves of what Eliu has said. And then he says to Job, after all of this, he addresses in Job 41. 40, there's only 42 chapters, but 41. He speaks of something. Now, you guys might disagree with me, but I, I believe he's addressing the religious spirit here. And I'll tell you guys now. He addresses what he calls then, we, we, it's not important what it's named, but he gives the name the Leviathan. And he says to Job, Job, who can conquer Leviathan? And let me ask you this, who can conquer the religious spirit? No one can. And I've seen many people set out to conquer that spirit. I've, in religion, now I'm going to work myself out of it. It's impossible. If you're stuck in religion, you're stuck. In your own. Well, there's only one remedy for religion. There's only one remedy for religion. It's a revelation of Jesus. It's only when one turns to the Lord that the veil is taken away. And now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's the only way. 
But then God goes and he speaks to Job about this religious spirit. And I'll, 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 let's, let's read uh, the last, 41, the last one. Verse 34, I think. He says, he sees everything. He speaks about the spirit. He says, he sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. And so legalism and religion in its center celebrates man and man's ability to cancel distance between him and God. In the center is the son of pride, the king over the sons of pride. But here he describes it in the other portion. I think it's verse 16 to 15. 15 to 17. Okay, I'm going to read to you guys here. So here's, here's the description. His back is made of rows of shields. Shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to the other that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. That's it. So, in he's describing this creature, this is how this creature looks. This creature has scales. Very, very thick scales. These scales are so close to one another that no air or nothing can penetrate the scales. They completely close the earth. All right? That's the description of this thing. It's hard and it cannot be penetrated. To get to that heart is, is impossible. All right? Now, I quickly want to just consider a couple of scales that we build around our hearts. All right? And then we're just going to see how easy it is to penetrate through the scales around your heart. And how difficult it is to break legalism over your heart because of the strange scales that is over your heart. All right? Paul addresses those scales in Romans 2. And there's four that he mentions, and I will mention them in no exact order for a specific reason. One of the first things that he said, Paul addresses, he says, you Jews, and he addresses the Jews, that was the epitome of the scale bearers that was so tight that nothing could penetrate these scales and get to their hearts. And Paul says to them, you Jews, you have the knowledge of the law. You know what is right and wrong. The moral code of God has been given to you. You know the Ten Commandments. And because you know that, in some ways, you think that you are excused. Now, how many of you have ever been counseled by anybody? Or anybody has ever said something to you? And they say something that you know is true. And they, and you go, I know that. Listen to me. Someone tells me, you need to love your wife. I go, I know that. Doesn't mean I love my wife. But the fact that I can say I know that is a scale that's over my heart. You know how difficult it is to, to teach people? And their first response is, I know that. It's their way of protecting their heart. I know that means nothing. It means absolute freaking nothing. 
I know the Ten Commandments has got nothing to do with you living the Ten Commandments. But it has become a scale in which you can protect your heart. The more you know, the more you guard your heart or protect it or have a scale that you can go, I know that. I'll tell you guys a story. I, um, the other day, a couple of Sundays ago, I'm, I'm in worship. I'm leading the meeting in worship. And um, Hesi comes to me. Hesi comes to me, I've got a word. I'm like, yeah, Hesi, what's the word? She says, it's not for the church, it's for you. <laughs> I was hoping it's going to be a good one. All right? <laughs> so, look, I'm not going to explain the whole word. And she's probably presented it a little bit more delicate than what I'm going to present now. But it came down to, you've got control issues. She said it nicer than that, right? But you've got control issues. Now, you must remember that morning, I sat in worship, and I'm, the worship team is beginning, and I'm thinking, oh, guys, that's such the wrong song. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm the whole time frustrated and agitated in, in a lot of things. And as I'm thinking this, here comes AC. I've got a word. <laughs> you've got control issues. I'm thinking, not me. In fact, that's my message. I tell people, stop being so controlling. I know you shouldn't be controlling. It can't be me. Then I'm thinking, like, maybe Hesse's got control issues. Hesse's <laughs> got control issues. And she's deflecting it on me. And then I had to go, you see, you, you see the scale? I mean, who knows that you shouldn't be controlling? I know it, and I teach it. Doesn't mean there's not a scale over this heart. And that scale was so hard here. When she said, when she said in a very nice way, you've got control issues. This heart was like this. The sons of pride were standing up. Who's this in anyway to tell me? You know? She's got control issues. <laughs> I'm thinking, you see, I'm thinking. And then I had to go like, sorry God, the skulls are very hard. And the son of pride is so hard to let these skulls drop. I'm going to try now. I've got control issues. I'm sorry, Jesus. Forgive me. Take it away. I had a wonderful worship meeting for the rest of the day. <laughs> wonderful. I was free. I couldn't care. Right? The second one that Paul addresses, and that links up with this, is he says, you know the truth, and therefore you think you live the truth. Scale, I know that. The second one that Paul is saying is, you're a teacher of the law. And because you teach the law, you think you're exempt from those things. I teach on not controlling. Of course. 
interesting plant pierce me. Right? Now, I've, I've seen over time, you know, I've, um, whenever we do, uh, we call it like a type of Bible study. The encouragement is, guys, don't tell us what you know. Allow the word to pierce your heart. We put the Bible there, let's read it together, and let's open up our hearts. I, I, I uh, used the example, where's Mornay? Mornay is so exemplary for me. I know you, we can think it's maybe just an act, but I've seen him whenever we handle the Word of God. We read the Bible, and Mornay is in this, Jesus, do it. <laughs> but most people... When that sword is laying on that table and ready to pierce their heart, can't help themselves and pick it up and start teaching us. Oh, you guys don't know about this. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about this? It's like, you know what we hear? We hear a clanging cymbal. Dong, 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 dong. I smile, but that's what I hear. So, one of the guys that's helped the body of Christ, he wrote a series of books called The God Generals. And in that book, he helps people in ministry with pitfalls in which they can fall off. And he was brilliant. He teaches us, watch out that you don't spend time with God. Let's watch out for this. Watch out for fame. Watch out for all of these things. He was a brilliant, brilliant teacher in helping us to prevent from falling into the traps. A couple of years after he wrote that series, he fell into all those things. The very thing that he taught people made him feel, I don't know, I don't know him that well, but in somehow had the feeling that he is exempt from it. You want to know spiritual maturity? I don't look at spiritual maturity and your ability to give nuggets to everybody. I look at spiritual maturity and your ability to receive from everybody. I look at a man that can receive from people. I look at a man that can receive from a child. There's maturity. But as soon as a man comes and he pulls that sword up and he just starts, I'm like, no, 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 no. Take that sword. Ah. It keeps the shield just like this. Keep the scales just like this. You can't get through there. The third one is actually the first one that Paul mentions in Romans 2. He says, you, O man, the very people that you judge does the same thing. So here, every example that I've mentioned up till now, if you've thought about somebody else that struggled with that, you're religious. If your strategy in what I've just said have gone like, yeah, I can see that one. Yeah, I can see that one. Because nothing deflect what's really going on in our hearts, like being able to pick a mistake in somebody else. You guys should see me. Essie says to me, in God, I've got control issues. What's the first thing that I do? No, you've got control issues. I deflect by judgment. I exempt myself by able to find faults in other people's heart. It's epitome of the sons of pride. There's two guys going before Jesus. And the one guy is as holy as can be, perfect in all his ways, 
a church mouse to the fullest degree. And he falls before Jesus, seeing all these fallen people next to him and says, Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not like those people. And the man next to him, full of sin and a broken life, says, Oh, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Help me. The answer, sons of pride, that struggle with religion, is all, I'm a sinner. Help me. And that's the thing, you know, I'm, I'm quite fine. That's enough if, I, if I pick now an AC now, yeah. I'm quite fine if I on my own can pick up all on all my wrongdoings and do it with God. But as soon as somebody else points it out to me, I start going like this. The fourth thing that Paul does, and that's, again, he mentioned circumcision. And I'll just, say, I'll just say one thing about circumcision. Paul goes in, in Philippians 3, and Paul gives his, his little bit of a spiritual resume. Paul says, I'm born from the tribe of Benjamin. Again, for us, it means nothing. So what, Paul? But for Paul, the fact that he was the tribe of Benjamin and the, the tribe of Judah was reserved to be the people that could be called Jew. Paul was a thoroughbred Jew. And because he was a thoroughbred Jew, somehow he thought, I'm a little bit more special than the not-so-thoroughbred Jews, and I'm a lot more special than the freaking Gentiles and the pagans. Right? And so that, number one, was very special. I was was circumcised on the eighth day. My mother kept the law. On the eighth day, I was circumcised. I knew the law perfectly, and I kept it. I was trained by the best. If you want to pull out my spiritual CV, zook, 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 it is perfect. Let me tell you, all of us at some stage builds for us a spiritual resume that we can compare ourselves with others. I go to church and come and pray meeting. Ha! They must church every now and then. Bing. Win them on that one. I've put on my spiritual, I've put on my spiritual CV. I have read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I could put that on my survey. Who of you have read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? And I think, oh, they haven't. Beat them. I've been in church leadership. And there's a whole lot of things that I've found in my way to build my, my what is that? What's the word that I would say? My resume, my spiritual resume. And so have you. The Verlier said something on Wednesday that was so powerful. He says, as soon as there's still spiritual comparison in us, it means that we have religion. Because some way we have compared of what I have put on my resume and put myself in a superior place to someone that is not. And then Paul could go with his resume. That, by the way, is better than any one of us here. And Paul says, that which I thought wasn't anything, I count as absolute Absolute rubbish. He could drop that. Who's easy to tell me? I'm an elder. My resume should count more. See, I've got that same. This is friends of Job's spirit. This is Job's spirit. 
And I'll go like, that resume is nothing before God. Come on, Essie. Cut me, Essie. Cut me. (laughs) All right. We need to be humble, guys. We need to humble ourselves. We need to understand that we have nothing to offer. Not our knowledge, not our ability to teach, not our spiritual resumes, not our ability to pick up mistakes in other people. Nothing, nothing, nothing that we shall over this heart and somehow justify us. We need to humble ourselves and rip that thing off and allow ourselves to be pierced by God. (laughs) Only then can we be free people. It's only humble people that could be free. Right? Second point that I want to mention. I want to uh, quickly, let's go to, let's go to, um, let's do Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 verse 2. I put it up to you now. Okay. So. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered Since the worshiper, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. I should have given you verse 1 so that there's just a little bit of context here. All right. Hebrews 10 verse 1 to 2 says this. Can you quickly do it? Sorry, guys. It just feels a little bit of a... Okay. For since the law has put the shadow of the good things to come... Instead of the true form of all this reality, it can never buy the same sacrifice that continually offered every year. So, so sorry, I, I know it's just going to sound very random. I just want to. So, Old Testament, the guys that brought sacrifices every year, slaughtering bulls, all kinds of things, in a hope that they would be forgiven. Right? And every year they would go for that ritual, which was never there to save them, but was actually just a picture of Jesus. And Paul is now looking to these guys that's continuing to offering all these sacrifices and he says to them, listen, if this sacrifice was so powerful, why do you do it every year? If it's that powerful, you would have stopped to have to do it every year. We need a sacrifice that's one sacrifice once and for all. I, I, need, I need that type of gospel with many people because they get, they get saved every week. <laughs> and I'm like, Listen, I know you've sinned between Monday and Friday, but we have one sacrifice for sin once and for all. That's taken away everything. Now, verse 2 then says, otherwise, otherwise is the obvious question. Would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshiper, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Now, This is one of the big things of what legalism leave with us. Legalism leave with us a sin consciousness. How do I know when people have fallen into religion? I, I, Bulland Landbo, these schools that I used to go to. This is some of the first questions that I used to get when I go in there. It's this question. Um, Listen, is bloody a swear word? How far can I go with a girl? Can I go up to the knee? How far can I go with a girl? Right? As soon as people ask that type of questions, I know that these guys are, they're gone. They've got nothing to do with the Lord. And here's the problem with all of us at some stage. Some of us, all of us, some of us, all of us, 
at some stage, start moving away from living relationship. And the question become more and more, what is sin and what is not sin? And if your Christian experience is becoming like this, what is sin and what is not sin? And trying to figure out that, you are deep down the root of religion. It's so interesting, you know, I, we, we, we once had a, um, had a guy in our church and one of the elders over Passover weekend used the word Easter. And he said, listen, guys, what do we, this Easter weekend, he used the word Easter weekend. The guy says, I can't believe that the elder used the word Easter. It should be Passover. And he left the church. So, never mind, never mind, never mind that we have Passover or that the point of Passover is that we remember Jesus and His death and resurrection and the death of resurrection has completely taken hold of this elder's life. And I know that his life is different. Yes, he called it Easter. He called it Easter. He should have known. We should say Passover, not Easter. But subtly the enemy gets us into asking the question, are you saying Easter or Passover? And losing sight of what it is all about. Romans 8 verse 2 says, for the law of the spirit of life. You see, there's two laws working here. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of of sin and death. There's a different question that I'm asking myself. I go out today, I go out tomorrow, and this is two lives that I'm living. I don't want to sin. And my question is, what is sin? And so I go out tomorrow and I live like this. This is so free, guys. A life of trying not to sin. And that's how so many people are living in. My question is different. My question is, where is God? What, what's the answer for a sin consciousness? It's a God-conscious life. Where is God? Where is the Spirit? Where is life? I'm addicted not to not sinning. <laughs> I'm addicted to the life of God. And my point is in everything to find the life of God. I go to Work. My work is different than yours. You go to work. And instead of asking myself, how can I stay free from sin? My question is, where is God? Can you imagine that scene that we gave last week about the, 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 the elders throwing down the crown, the four living creatures, the angels, the magnitudes of people standing before God and crying, holy, holy, holy. Imagine for one moment the question is, don't sin. That's not an option there. In view of God, God consciousness, in view of life, you would be amazed to see that sin doesn't touch me. The law of spirit and life set me free from this new law. The law, oh no, 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 no. The old law, the law of sin and death. That asked this question, is it sin or not sin? Are being set free by a new law that asked me this new question. Is it life or not life? Read last verse, Colossians, Colossians 2. If with Christ, if you died, 
to the element spirits of this world. Why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that are perishing as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, asceticism, and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Such a powerful verse. If you have been caught up in do not touch, do not handle, what is and what is not, at the cost of a living Jesus and a living relationship. <laughs> and I, I know all of us, or most of us here have a relationship with Jesus. But I say, look, even as Galatians 5 stands in the beginning and says, stand therefore firm for the freedom that you have in Christ. Because the enemy and everything that he wants to, wants to pull you to the place that the skulls go over your heart. <laughs> and the son of pride is no longer being able to pierce. There's just no way in there. And more and more, that which was living and alive have become merely a settling of, do not sin. <laughs> keep this or do not keep this. I'm going to quickly pray for us for this. So, as I pray, I want to say, Jesus is the answer, right? <laughs> and the problem with the church so many times is whenever we've dealt with the world, we've tried to put morality on them. And we've given a voice of saying, homosexuality is sin. Do not, do not have sex, do not drink, do not do drugs. And simply present morality to people. But morality and the message of morality does not change anybody. And it's not the message of God. God's answer is Christ. And maybe today, you have been pulled in at some stage to try and live a more moral life. Even in the name of Christianity. But you've never, you've never tasted the freedom that comes from meeting to Christ. And if you have to consider your life today, if you consider your morality, if you consider your life, you are not sure whether what you have presented up till this time will save you. You know that you can be sure today? There's surety for you today in Christ, Jesus. We're not saying to you, become a better person. We're saying to you, come to Jesus. And if something is awakened in your heart today, knowing what I'm saying, you don't have, and it is something that you want to have, and it's not something that I present to you as that you want to have. It's, it's a nice to have. Let me tell you, this is essential. There's no life outside of this. This is not just a good idea, a good option. 
This is everything. So if that is you, I'm going to count to three. I will not embarrass you. I just want you to give me an indication. If you can just give me your hand. Just put up your hand. I'm going to count to three. Put up your hand. I will not call you out. I will come to you afterwards and speak to you. But I'm just going to ask you to do this. I'm counting to three. One, two, three. If there's anyone. Okay. Anyone else? Then for the rest of us, I want to say that, you know, as sure as I am that the answer to the world is Christ, so sure am I that the answer to the church is Christ. (laughs) And if we have strayed away in that way, we strayed from the simplicity of Him. And if we've got stuck in some sort of religion, religion, I want to pray for you. So Jesus, I pray that every heart, Lord Jesus, that is in some ways have you become dim and you become far. Every heart, Father, that is stuck in this sort of religion, every heart that is stuck in experiencing you to be dry. Father, we pray that there will be when one turns to the Lord today. We pray for a renewed seeing of you. We pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to bring a reality of you. Father, we pray for the bringing down of every scale, every pride thing that is God at their heart. And we pray for a fresh humility, Father, that can receive your grace and can receive your life. We honor you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's it. Thanks, Carla. Visitors, if you guys, um, please remember to hand in your slips at the coffee. I'm not sure. 